What's going on, ladies and gents? Robert Sykes, KetoSavage.com, and today I'm going to basically be posting the audio from the fitness panel of the Keto Summit Omaha. A few weeks back, I published the audio from my presentation at the Keto Summit Omaha, but we also recorded this 45, 47-minute long fitness panel with a bunch of great questions and answers, so I figured y'all would benefit from that as well. So rather than this being a podcast, this is the audio stripped from that panel. It's also available on YouTube if you'd prefer to watch it instead of listen to it. But hope you enjoy it either way. I think it's going to be full of information for you that you find interesting and informative. So without further ado, sit back, relax, learn something. The fitness panel from the Keto Summit Omaha. This is where you guys better have a lot of questions. A lot. Okay, so I'm going to try to scan the audience and... I'm just going to start the first round of who they are, um, how long they've been on this journey, and just a little bit about themselves in less than six seconds each. Uh, Kidding. Uh, <laughs> Is this on TV? You, I can hear you. <laughs> so transformation panel, come on up. I'm going to welcome Danny Vega, Robert Sykes, Bronson Dant, Dr. Joy, Kristen Powell, Frida Tehran, Rachel Gregory, and Crystal Sykes. Welcome to the stage. Welcome to the Keto Brick stage. I will get the microphone. Sit any way you'd like. Yes, yep. Let's make sure those are on. All right, have a seat, have a seat. Open dialogue. Here's what I don't want you to think. Please do not sit back there and go, I wish I looked, you know, that way. Or these people didn't pop up like this overnight, except for one of them. That was me. Oh, sorry. But I, but I really want you to know the human side of these people and what their heart is. And the only way we're going to do that is if you ask questions. So first, introduce yourself and just give a little bit of background about yourself, your journey, and, and we'll just pass it on down. And then you get your questions ready. And I'm going to step back. Uh, Y'all probably just heard me speak, I hope. So, yeah, we're I'm good. Robert. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I am Crystal Sykes, I'm Robert's wife, and I've been keto for four years. I've been building Keto Brick and Live Savage Apparel and Keto Savage and all that right next to Robert. Um, I actually started my fitness and keto journey because of gastrointestinal issues, and it just kind of like flourished from there. I'm a meathead. I love lifting weights. Um, <laughs> I focus on keto for performance. I focus on keto for muscle building. And I'd love to talk about this, and trust me, I will talk your ear off, so ask the questions. No regrets, right? No regrets. Hi, I'm Kristen Rowell. Um, I'm also from the Midwest, so I'm really excited to be here. I live in Minneapolis, and I am a professional bodybuilder in a natural division, and I'm also a big marathon runner. I just left my practice of law in June of last year to start my own business in the coaching and fitness space, so I'm really excited to be here. I found keto in 2014. I started experimenting with it after I fell on ice in Williston, North Dakota and broke my right leg in 10 places. So I had to research, I know, super sexy accident, I fell off a curb. So <laughs> 25 below zero. So I um, wanted to research like how do I get this inflammation out of my body and how do I heal in record time and that's what stumbled me upon this diet and I've never looked back. I'm Bronson Dant. Um, I've actually been carnivore for about two years, almost two years. Um, and I started because of stomach issues, like many people kind of get into this. Um, but also because I really did my weight up and down, right? I couldn't seem to find a balance. And uh, just kind of going through this, this great community, and all the information that's out there has kind of helped out a lot. 
Hi, I'm Rachel Gregory. Um, I'm a board-certified nutritionist and strength conditioning specialist, and I found keto back in 2014 um, when I was getting my master's degree, and I did the first study on uh, ketogenic diet in CrossFit athletes, and that's kind of what propelled me into this world. Um, I developed the lifestyle for myself, and I've grown over the past six years to learn the strategies that work for me and help, um, right now I help other women implement strategies um, to optimize their lifestyle in a, a low carbohydrate lifestyle, um, while also teaching them how to, the importance of building muscle and building confidence, changing their mindset, and overall just changing their life through these strategies and tools. Hey everyone, I'm Frida Teran, and I'm an MD PhD student at the University of Iowa, so Midwest as well. Um, I am not a professional bodybuilder like a lot of these people, but I came to keto about almost three years ago, mostly for mental health issues. And I stayed because I saw a great uh, improvement in cognitive performance, uh, my overall mental health has improved, my depression is gone, um, just a lot of benefits. And I'm hoping to be able to practice this type of, or preach about this lifestyle uh, in the future once I become a licensed physician, so. Hi, I'm Jordan Joy. I've been keto since like 2013. Uh, if you guys know Sean Wells, he kind of tricked me into doing it while I was staying at his house as a <laughs> diametized intern during my bachelor's degree. Uh, I have a PhD in nutrition. Uh, I did my dissertation topic on conforming or adapting a ketogenic diet uh, to an active lifestyle, specifically on uh, how to manipulate carbohydrate and exploring the limits of the ketogenic diet and how many carbohydrates you can eat and stay in ketosis. And I am also a meathead like Danny. I'm Jay Morales and I admire these people. I'm gonna look at you awkwardly like in a sales meeting. Yes. Can I repeat that for, uh, did everyone get that over here? So what he said was, I'm old, where do I start? No, 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 he did. Where do I start? I don't want to do arms one day, legs another day. I don't want to make this too complicated. You know, how do I start? Great question. So I just want to take this one first, if you guys don't mind. I have two quick questions. Where do you live and why do you hate the gym? Well, I don't, I don't hate gym. I just hate it. I live in Lincoln. Okay, okay.
Right. So that's how I train, which is why I'm, I'm hearing what you're saying. So a lot of people don't believe this when I tell them, but I'm such a mouthpiece about quality over quantity. I started law school, and during law school, I was doing upper body Monday, lower body Tuesday, upper body Wednesday, and I started practicing law, and I was like, that's over. There's no way anyone has time for that. So I lift twice a week for 30 minutes, and that's wow. it. Wow. And it is super slow and really hard, and I don't do two sets of anything, and every single exercise I do, I go to total failure. So there are trainers in this country and gyms that you can find that. It's very efficient, and I really strongly believe that strength training is the key to anti-aging and longevity. Yeah. It is the number one thing that we can do for ourselves as we age, especially women. And so find a gym that, super, that can train you super slow. Find a trainer that can do that for you and commit to at least one hour a week. Everyone has an hour a week they can devote to it. Awesome. Great I wanted answers. to go next because I feel your pain. After college, I had a little washout couple of years where I was sick of the scheduled lifts and all that. So I totally understand that. But like Kristen said, at some point, you have to add resistance. You know, you have to continue, whether it starts with body weight because you don't feel good and then progressing. The only thing that I'll add is that you, if you do want to, if you don't find that, because that is 100% we're on the same page, quality over quantity, you will do much more with a focused workout that's, what, 15, 20 minutes, 30, 30 minutes? 30 minutes, then going to the gym an hour and a half, five days a week. If you don't believe me, just pay attention to the people you see at the gym who are doing that and see if they're changing over the years. <laughs> they're just zombies. So it's very important to get quality over quantity. The only other thing I'll add is full body training, which is what I do a lot of the time, works very well, especially if something comes up where you can't train later on in the week. I used to not train like this, but nowadays I train like this. If you miss a workout, you know you at least kind of got most of your muscles worked and it prevents you from you know, I do squats on Fridays, and it just so happens that Fridays are the days that I miss my, my workouts. You know, that's kind of, you know, a little bit of a cop-out. So just, uh, we always start with legs. I start with legs every day, and then I, and then I change. Anybody else? Yeah, please. I got to give a shout-out to our manager, Brandon, on this one. He, he came and uh, applied at Keto Brick, and then one of the parts in the application process was to, to do deadlifts with me. And he was <laughs> hanging with me on deadlifts, having not done deadlifts in 10 or 11 years. And I'm like, what are you doing, man? What, what, whatever you're doing, it's working. All he does is resistance bands. He trains his resistance bands for like 20, 30 minutes a day. He's got five kids, so he doesn't go to the gym. He just does body weight and resistance bands. And like, that's going to be much less taxing on your joints. You can do it anywhere, and that's a pretty good outlet. I love that. I love that. Yes. Yes, yes, he's from Relevant. He's from the Relevant staff. Let's give it up for these guys, by the way. Fire away. So the first thing that, you know, I did CrossFit, that's actually, remember how I told you guys I lost my love for lifting for a while. It's interesting that CrossFit in 2011 
was the first time I really started to love lifting again, which is kind of ironic because we know that the base of CrossFit is, is a good metabolic base. You've got to have an engine. What I think is the problem with CrossFit is that we're all somewhat competitive by nature, and there's no distinction between the CrossFit games and a CrossFit gym. And I have very uh, friends everywhere who own CrossFit gyms who would like to program intelligently, and when they do, the lawyers and the doctors that are paying, you know, $150 a month there are like deadlifts. You know, like, I want to get killed. You know, people think they, want, they, they need to be killed. So I would not, on a ketogenic diet, be comfortable doing more than like three Metcons a week. Um, like, if you're at a certain level, if there are Metcons that are 20-minute Metcons, then you're probably doing them in 10, 11 minutes. Then in that case, maybe you can do two Metcons in a day. So I would definitely make the bulk of my training the strength portion, um, which you absolutely, you don't really need um, carbs for that. Um, and then on the Metcons, maybe it makes sense to add some carbs pre-workout, especially if it's something like EVA that's going to be like a 45-minute workout. Um, that, that, to me, makes sense. You can try to do CrossFit. I know CrossFit's going to poo-poo on, on not eating carbs, but that doesn't matter because if you're doing well with CrossFit, there's genetic differences. Robert, very heavy type 1 muscle fibers, you know, uh, slow twitch. He can weigh 190 pounds and run a marathon without prepping. Me, <laughs> I wouldn't be able to do that. So, you know, different people adapt, you know, have different needs. You can try it. How, how is it going right now without, are you not using carbs for CrossFit? Okay, and okay, that, that helps too, again, with the stress part, because if you're doing those carbs post-workout, you're going to modulate that cortisol um, without letting it build up like it usually would if you just didn't pay attention to that. Is it all right if I jump in on targeted keto? All right, so I won't talk about really like any of the CrossFit-specific stuff, but I will say, uh, so our study on it, we had a mixed methods training, so it was... Uh, we, we did some resistance training some days, we did some cardiovascular some days, and one of those days was always HIIT-based training, so it would be about as close as we get to a Metcon, is just like Wingate sprints, if you know what that is, just sprints on a bike. Um, yeah, just, right? <laughs> um, but what, what we did, uh, the purpose of the study was really to explore the limits of ketosis, specifically as it relates to a carbohydrate threshold, quote-unquote. And so the 50 gram limit for athletes, and just as a preface, like my normal ketogenic diet will be like 70 to 80 grams of carbs a day, net carbs, I do net. So it'll be a little bit, it'll be pushed a little bit higher if you're counting fiber, it'll be a little higher than that, probably around like 90, 95 or so with you know, total carbs. But what we found in the study is like you can maintain ketosis if you're active eating more carbohydrates than you would typically be allowed to. Like those carbohydrates go in, you use them during the activity, and then when you return to a normal resting state, you'll transition back into ketosis, no problem. And also during exercise, your ketones will be elevated as well, so it's really not even like you're going to have a hugely suppressive effect. Your ketones, and if you ingest carbohydrates, will both be elevated, so you'll have both of those two fuel sources when you're looking at it from a biochemical perspective, you'll go through oxidative, you can go through anaerobic, and your performance then won't be limited. So it's just a matter of like how much, 
and Danny said around like 20 grams topped out, I think it can go a little bit higher. It's really activity dependent. If you're a really fit person, you can go a little higher than that. I might personally go up to like 200 grams a day, depending on my training volume. Um, I don't think anybody else would go up quite as high, but... I do. Sometimes I do. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so Danny and I are pretty close. Like we're, we're both, I'm a little under 220, probably right around 220. So like we can... Yeah. <laughs> we're meeting in the middle around 220 so like we we have obviously larger body obviously he's very active i'm active as well so we can kind of explore that limit a little bit but we can test it and find out you kind of if you can test it you can figure out your sweet spot but you can start slow and then start to add up and if you ever don't transition back in after your next high fat meal or if you don't transition back quickly after a fast if like you know your body patterns and you deviate from that then you're probably having too much Bronson, go ahead, close yeah. this up. So I'm, I've been doing CrossFit for seven years. I owned a gym for five years. Uh, two of the last years have been carnivore pretty much. Um, worked with a lot of athletes and kind of what these guys have said, it really determines on what your goals are. What are you trying to get to, right? Are you trying to be a games athlete? Are you trying to be as fit as you can be? Are you trying to cut? Are you trying to gain? Like there's so many things that kind of go into that. So yes, it can work with or without based on what you're trying to do. Right, I mean, it's really kind of a hard, specific thing to say, this is gonna work for you. We don't know your history, we don't know your background, but um, it can be done ketogenic, it can be done zero carb, it can be done with a ton of carbs. Like, there's a lot of different ways it can work. Thank you. Let me see, let me take one from back here. Can you paraphrase that one? You guys paraphrase the question for her. So the first, okay, go first question is, do they want the carbs because they like carbs or because they need it for performance? Because they think they need it for performance. Okay. Um, yeah. I'll let you take it. <laughs> so I'll just, yeah, I, I say, I'll just give my short anecdotal example. I ran 19 marathons before I broke my leg. Then I broke my leg. Then I found keto. I've run several marathons since, but I ran my fastest marathon after recovering from my leg break and totally keto. I had a steak the night before my marathon and I ate one packet of coconut butter before the race and I never had a better race. I ran a 319, I felt amazing. Ooh. And here's the thing you guys, in 2012, a year before I broke my leg, I had to eat five goos to get through a marathon. I ate one every five miles. Do you know how much sugar and like the gut rot you have when you get to the finish line? It's baffling to me. So they, they're not going to care about my anecdotal example, but one person that I really respect in the space who's an ultra runner extraordinaire is Zach Bitter. If you search your podcast for anything related to Zach Bitter, B-I-T-T-E-R, or his wife, he speaks about this a lot. And he's run hundreds of miles. He talks about how he does it fat-fueled. And I know that he ran cross country in both high school and college. He's a really, really good athlete. So. Frida. Go ahead, Frida. Okay. 
So I've not run any marathons, but I've done a half a marathon, and I also did that with very minimum carbs, and I felt fine. I was actually able to sprint towards the finish line, which surprised me. <laughs> and, uh, but I do also do a lot of cycling, and sometimes I do long distances. I've done up to 70, 80 miles in one day with a turkey leg in the middle and maybe sausage in the parts. <laughs> Um, and, but I've also done a few other experiments where first thing I wake up in the morning, down a cup of black coffee, and then I go take off for a 30 mile loop fasted and I'm fine. It also involves hills and whatnot. So you do get some like brief, um, strong, like, uh, difficult efforts going uphill. Um, and I feel fine. The reason I was brave enough to do this is because I've been, I've been keto for a while before doing that, for at least a year. And so I think that before somebody ventures into, I'm just gonna cut all carbs and then, you know, and next week run a marathon, probably may not be the best idea, but it's possible, it's doable. You just have to adapt first. Awesome. Crystal? Um, in my opinion, I think a lot of kids don't like to listen to their mom specifically. <laughs> um, so the thing that I would do is find someone that you think that they could admire um, it could be one of these people, and I, I believe every single one of these people will answer a direct message, an email. They will respond back to you. Your they will respond back to your kids. So if you have questions and you can find someone that they admire, do that. Find that person that can be a good role model for them, and maybe it, it not coming from your mouth will actually help them. That's great advice. That's and I great. also think instead of trying to just cut out kind of the carbs and the, if they're using goose or things like that, try to replace it with something else. So things like Danny talks a little bit about the UCAN product. You can tell them, you know, this is still a carb and it says it on the label, but it's a different acting carb. It's a slow digesting carb. So it gives you energy long-term. So kind of instead of just cutting those things out right away, maybe finding replacements for them or like, you know, F-bomb packets or like little packets that like the F-bombs look like goose. So you can give them those and they taste good. So I think just like, you know, windling that in and really educating them. I think education is a huge part of it because if you don't understand why you're doing what you're doing, you're never going to learn how to manipulate things and, you know, make changes down the line. So I think that's a big part of it. I just had one more little thing. I, everyone in this room at some point is going to feel like they're beating their head against a wall by trying to convert everyone to our way of living. Yes. This, I mean, yeah. you've probably all experienced it already. So I like to say, like other programs, this is a program of attraction, not promotion. So I've noticed that people will start to inquire of me and ask me questions, including family members, if I'm less chatty about it. They'll sort of notice what I'm doing or notice what I'm eating. Or, and, and it's like all of us have to sort of come to it on our own. So almost just continue to do you and see if they eventually come around and eventually ask you about it. That's great advice. And one thing really quick, if they do decide to try it, make sure that they understand beforehand that when they start out, the performance will decline initially before it comes back to normal. Sometimes I think we all agree you got to take one step back to go 100 steps forward. And I think that's the thing about the ketogenic lifestyle. It's not instantaneous. It's a journey for sure. Question? Yes. I'll come to you. I remember. Sorry.
keto for a year, I'm exercising, like I can breathe. And when I go out um, walking, I can actually slog, like jog. But my knees used to be really bad, and now they've improved. Like it's like everything's healing. Um, so at my age, at 50, with knees still popping and cracking a little bit, but now my lungs are good, is it going to be harmful to my knees? Or are they going to continue to get better because of the running and the joint health? I'll share the question. At age 50, She's, is this even going to be good for me? My lungs feel better again. I feel like I'm coming back. My knees hurt. But is this going to be harmful for me if I start running? Is that right, Julie? Is it going to be? I couldn't say, like, it'll definitely get, get worse or get better from running. I would just say that running is a higher impact mode of exercise. So if you were to do some, you wanted to, you know, increase your aerobic capacity, uh, you could do, throw through, do so through cycling or some uh, other means of activity that's not going to be pounding away on your knees. And then also, I don't run at all, so if that makes anybody else feel any better, <laughs> I don't do any cardio whatsoever. So I'll just say, I'm 47, I'll be 48 this year. So wow. Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, age does not determine if you can get in shape. That's it right. determines how you get in shape. Okay, you may need to start slower, you may need to start differently, but just start, right? Um, when it comes to running, when it comes to doing that, you know, cyclical repetitive type of impact stuff, try to find options that aren't as impactful, right? Rowing, biking, swimming, things like that. Um, and then do resistance training, right? The biggest way that you can prevent and kind of keep that impact from affecting you negatively is to build some muscle around your joints. I mean, that's really the biggest thing. I was just going to say the same thing. Focus on first kind of building the foundation, and that all comes with building muscle resistance training. Um, and then just with what you said, with the fact that you're keto now and, you're, you know, your joints feel better, it's a lot to do with the inflammation, so reduced inflammation and all of that. So that's just going to help you move forward. But I was going to say the same exact thing. I think you should, you know, if you enjoy running, definitely run. But a lot of people... I, th I think we've gone away from this a lot recently, especially for women, you know, doing chronic cardio and all of that. It's more like now we're starting to understand how important resistance training is. And so I think that's something that it's still, we still haven't gotten there, but definitely focus on that. And then running should be something that you do if you enjoy it, but it shouldn't be the foundation of your fitness. I just want one more thing, eat more protein. And um, one of the there's the few responses I get when I say I run 25 marathons, but one of the first things people say to me is, oh, your poor knees, your knees. And I'm like, I've had zero knee issues because I strength train so hard. And it's right, what Bronson said, protecting your joints by building that muscle around them will continue to allow you to use your body as long as you are on this earth. Awesome, awesome. Yes. How many shift workers in here, first of all? How many shift workers? Okay. And how many people shift shifts and then work doubles? Okay. And then get tired. 
So the question from her is, how in the world do I even do this? Boom, do it. So 11 to 8, right? Is that usually what it is? Or, no. or 8? I work from 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. And I okay. work 3 to, 4 days, 3 to 4 nights a week. So, I mean, I'm not an expert on this night shift stuff. I wouldn't. But what I would do if it were me is, you know, if 7 p.m. is when you start, you're probably waking up around 2 or 3 or... or Four, okay, even better. Listen, that's better. The, the later, the better. So if you like to lift first thing in the morning, I would lift before work. And then, you know, maybe, if, maybe eat that first meal kind of close to it. Um, if you, one of the things that we talk about is this post-workout window that it's not quite, we know it's important, but we don't know what the time frame is. So, you know, try to get some food in you at least a few hours, not, not more than a few hours after you train. And, you know, as much as possible, try to bring your schedule in harmony. So, I don't know, if it were me, I might be staying up late on my off nights. I don't know. I, I, but That's rough, too, because I actually switch back when I'm not working because I have kids and a husband and I want to live like a normal person. Yeah, 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 yeah. So. Yeah, I would do it. Obviously, you're going to be at your best when you wake <laughs> up, like early when you, like, you know. So, it's probably best to do it before work. You know, I know I have physicians that are, you know, trauma surgeons and things like that who, who uh, like to do it before they get into work and stuff hits the fan. And also, you know, after, after work, you know, you may not have the same amount of energy, but then again, you may. Some people do construction overnight and they go right after work, they lift, they eat, and then wait like an hour or two and they go to bed. It's possible though. So my husband, he's also an RN and he does night shifts and sometimes he does day shifts and it really is like peppered all over the place. Um, so kind of like you, 7 p.m. to 7 a.m., goes to sleep, sometimes wakes up at four. I sometimes check to make sure he's alive because he not, does not wake up. Um, but he also follows a low carb lifestyle and he also likes to lift. And the way that he does it, and I know it's a little different because as a woman, we have a lot of other things that could go wrong with like stress and hormones and whatnot. Um, and you say it's like three or four times a week, right? Yeah, so you, if you wanna continue lifting, I would want to make sure that you're enjoying it and it's not adding stress. Because if you're like, oh, I woke up at four, I started shifting three hours, I need to go to the gym. And you're just working through the workout and then you, get, you show up to work and you're tired. And then you have like, six million patients to work with. So maybe kind of like um, um, in between shifts, focus on like, all right, well, I'm not working today. Go get a lift in. And uh, I also don't know how often you eat, but you could also do like maybe one big meal or two big meals a day or something like that, depending on your schedule. But the, the, the key to make it sustainable is for you to not make working out and eating a certain way stressful because that will be the opposite of what you want to achieve. That's right. So just make it enjoyable. Um, yeah, it's possible, but for, the, for that same reason, uh, you want to prioritize feeling rested and feeling okay to be able to you know, perform well at work. So it's my two cents. It would be better if you, even if you, you, know, you, you, work, you work three days a week, right? If you could get one good workout in a week and that makes you feel like you're doing something to help yourself, and it's not stressful and adding stress to the rest of what you're doing, like you said, do that. There's nothing that says you have to work out three days a week or four days a week or five days a week, right? Fit your lifestyle first, and then you can go from there, right? 
I think that's important. I mean, you just hit that because I think everyone first, like, look at these guys. Whoa. Like, they don't know because they've been conditioned by, uh, by media to say, Danny lifts weights eight and a half days a week. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Right? I think there is eight and a half, but I'm sure. But anyway, listen to the information. These are real people living real lives. Tamara. Is shot. You think your metabolism is shot. Can can I rephrase a little bit of this? Because I heard this from everybody, a lot of people. The question is my metabolism. I've yo-yoed my metabolism. How many of you have heard like after this, your metabolism, I did this diet, it ruined my metabolism. Gosh, I can never fix my metabolism. I've heard that from many people. That's the question. Can you fix your metabolism, right? What can I do? What does metabolism even mean? And, and, and re-educate these people about this. All the mics uh, so, are down here. Uh, couple of the ways you can find out like where your metabolism is. One, you can get it tested. That's obviously a, a money route. Uh, if you are tracking your diet, you can keep track of where you are. Wherever you're maintaining a weight, you might maintain within a range. Uh, wherever you're maintaining your weight, that's going to your calorie level. That's where your metabolism is now. As I mean, you can clarify, but as a scientist, when you used to tell me, uh, you want to know what your metabolism is. To me, that means how many calories are you burning in a day? That's, to me, that's what that means. So if it's different, then let me know. It's true. She's been on the challenge with us too. couple of things. Um, it's, it's not that your metabolism is irreparable or anything. I would not say that at all. Um, it could be like maybe you need to eat a little bit more before you will start to lose. Like you got to have a little bit of input. Uh, you, Robert can probably talk about manipulating calorie levels to get a desired body composition effect in more detail than I can. Um, and also if you are, obviously the, the scale weight, I wouldn't be so worried about that. But I, I will say... Um, if you're gaining muscle, obviously you're not going to be losing, but that will propagate further fat loss and then overall improved body composition and improved health. And the, the too few calories for too long is a very common problem. Very, very common problem. Yeah. I don't so this is like the biggest problem I see in like natural bodybuilders and people that are manipulating their macros. So the first thing I would recommend doing is getting a baseline established. So track what your current intake is 
see what your weight's doing and maintaining it. That way you kind of have a leg to stand on and know where you're at currently. That's step number one. And then start gradually titrating those calories up. One of two things is going to happen. You're either going to, I've had some clients that have been, had a broken metabolism. They're eating too little for too long. And I start increasing their macros, their calories, and they actually start losing weight. That doesn't happen all the time. That's, that's the best case scenario. What could likely happen is you gain a little bit of body fat, but that's okay because just like we said, you take one step back to have 100 steps forward. So if you lose a little bit of, you know, your, if your scale weight goes up a few pounds, but you in turn improve your metabolism, your metabolic rate, you start increasing the calories, you have more runway from which to taper your calories from in the future when you are healthy. Yes. And then with that increase in calories, Focus on resistance training. Put those extra calories to work and build some more muscle tissue because more muscle tissue is going to improve your metabolic rate as well. So gradually increase calories. And if you gain a few pounds, if people start you know, saying, hey, you're putting on a little bit of weight, say, hey, that's okay because what I'm doing now, what I'm working for in the big picture, I mean, it's totally worth it. Like when I do a contest prep, I'll increase calories. In this past year, I increased my calories to 6,000. I did 6,000 calories a day for three months. And that reset my basal metabolic rate at like 3,800 calories. So I could eat like 3,800 calories now and not gain any weight. And that's not going to be the same for you probably, but it's, it's like that version of you. Increase it and find out what your metabolic rate is and improve from there. Awesome. Yeah, could I just add one more thing there? I just, I really feel strongly that the number one way to increase your metabolism is to increase the amount of lean muscle tissue you have in your body, which means strength training. I feel really strongly about that. I actually won't work with any clients unless they go and get first a bod pod or a DEXA scan or an in-body so that I can see what their resting metabolic rate is because it pops out on those machines. And that way I at least have a guide in setting their macronutrients. Otherwise, I'm just sort of guessing. So strength train and get your body fat tested. Question right here. You've started, Nancy. You've started. You're here. You're here. question is, can I do this grain-free? And what does keto have a lot of offering that can help me not eat grain-free? I love your question. And because they have GI issues too. Yeah. Has yes. Okay, great. Who's had GI? Yeah. So I, I guess I'll start. So I did it real easy. I just stopped eating everything that wasn't meat. Um, <laughs> right? So that took, it, that took the, the, everything out of the equation for me. Um, but I do work with clients and I have worked with people that have similar issues. Uh, it can be done without grains. Um, there are plenty of other foods that are out there that if you want to get the carbs, you can do that. Um, it, just because somebody puts a recipe or somebody else out there is doing it this way doesn't mean you have to, right? Like I, like I told her earlier, what fits your lifestyle, what fits where you want to go, and go that way. And it feels, it's, it's the elimination and the reduction of the carbs is what we're targeting. 
not specifically what type of carbs. Right, so if you can't have that stuff, then don't do it, that's fine. Um, in my experience, I don't have Crohn's. I uh, was diagnosed with gastroparesis and slow transit bowel. Um, and me switching over to keto reduced a lot of the inflammation and that's what caused a lot of the pain and discomfort. And luckily Robert had actually started keto before I had. And the first time I tried it, it was terrible. I had a really terrible experience. I wasn't doing anything wrong, but just the, the change of lifestyle yes. and of what I was eating was very drastic. Um, I also had to ease things in. I couldn't just eat steaks. I had to start with shakes. And actually keto chow is one of the best Way, yes. That was one of the best ways for me to ease into it. Um, just find what works for you and, and make that happen. But don't think because everyone eats a ribeye, you have to eat a ribeye. Uh, just do the foods that work best for you. A lot of times I still can't eat vegetables. I can't eat a lot of different things because it upsets my stomach, not because other people are doing it. And you can definitely do it without grains and seeds or nuts or raw vegetables or whatever. Whatever you can't have, you can definitely do it without that. I mean, there's tons of people in this room that are doing it like straight up carnivore. Yeah. And, and you, can, you can definitely make it a lifestyle with whatever you can or cannot have. Crystal, for these people in the room, the term carnivore is the very first time they've ever heard it. Can you explain deeper just a little bit what carnivore means? Yes, I am not carnivore, so if I explain this wrong, I'm sorry. Um, so it's pretty much just uh, meat, uh, animal product. A lot of people will do eggs. Some will do like heavy cream or like raw milk, things like that. Um, but mostly it's just a meat-based diet. Danny, you would say snout to tail, right? Nose, nose to, to tail. tail, baby. Yes. Yeah, I love nose to tail. I challenge you. Nose to tail just means like I, I find a lot of benefits. I also love everything, so I'm not like liver. weirded out. I love liver. I love kidney. I love heart, you know, all this weird stuff. I love it. But I challenge you to try carnivore for a month. Keep it simple. Just have some ground beef and bacon for breakfast, a burger and eggs for lunch, and, and a steak for dinner. And, you know, just understand that at the beginning you're going to be like, maybe there's more. And then, but once you start doing it, you're going to be like, I don't really need anything else. And, oh, wow, I feel so good, and my inflammation's down, and I haven't had a symptom in forever. So I would challenge you just because I think that it's the quickest shortcut. Um, try carnivore for a month because that is where carnivore shines. It's with people like you who have IBS and Crohn's and autoimmune stuff. Yes. Man, we're going for ribeye. <laughs> and I was also just going to say, so I'm not carnivore, but it, I definitely think it's a really great elimination diet. So you hear the word elimination diet all the time, and traditionally elimination diet is cutting out specific things, and it's a little bit more complicated, but carnivore is really like the ultimate kind of elimination diet for just dumbed down version of it. And, it's, and you don't have to kind of look at it in the way that you have to, for me, the way I look at it is like I, you don't have to stay carnivore forever, but you can use it, like Danny said, for a month and then, then start to introduce some foods back in and see how that affects you and how you react um, and symptoms you have because then you can see, okay, if I'm only having like a meat-based animal diet and I'm adding these certain things back in one at a time, I'll start to understand what's actually affecting me because what affects you is going to affect someone else differently. So it's all, all kind of your own N equals one experiment. Thank you.
question about protein pacing and meal timing, and then the pressure that we have doing the ketogenic diet for intermittent fasting, right, in order to build muscle. So that's the I love this one, uh, I, and you can, you can point to the research as well. Like, we can absorb tons of protein. It doesn't mean that it's optimal for protein synthesis. I think that, like, the research is pretty clear. If you really, if truly want to build a lot of muscle, you may want to pace that protein out. It doesn't have to be two. Just like you don't have to do intermittent fasting, you definitely don't have to do intermittent fasting, and just like you don't have to do intermittent fasting, skipping breakfast, you could skip dinner. So there's all these different things that you could do. Um, but I would definitely try, you know, if you're trying, I know you're trying to build muscle right now, um, try pacing it out a little bit, maybe like three or four meals. You're still not quite sacrilegious, like you might not get kicked out yet. It depends. You might, some people will kick you out if you eat four meals a day, but I won't. <laughs> Uh, for the for muscle protein synthesis, muscle building purposes, uh, we're, we're getting. I'm going to go a little bit like sciency on you, so just bear with me for a second. So you'll when you eat protein, if you eat a certain amount of protein, you're going to get leucine. You're eating high quality, probably animal based protein. I'm sure, as most of the people in the audience are. Uh, so you're getting a high quantity of leucine. The, the muscle protein synthesis trigger the anabolic trigger. So you're going to pass that threshold. Probably for you, bigger guy, probably around 30 grams or so, give or take that signal will last for about three hours. Then you would reinitiate that signal. So speaking without considerations for intermittent fasting, if you're considering it on that basis, uh, you would stand to gain the most muscle eating every three to four hours, at least 30, probably a little bit more grams of protein, just to be sure you're surpassing that. That being said, the number one thing that's going to predict your body composition change, your muscle building, is gonna be your total protein per day. So that's number one. Number two or three would be how that is spread out through the day. I would go even number three. Probably number two is the quality of that protein. We're, we're gonna close it out with your answer because we've got two panels tomorrow. So um, I wanna call an audible after though. Let's see if you guys are up to it. Go ahead. Go ahead, answer, no, answer, answer. Um, I was just gonna say, to break down a little bit what Jordan just shared. So for everyone, leucine, which is a really important amino acid, there's a lot of leucine in chicken thigh. So if you guys are just chicken breast, chicken breast, chicken thigh has the most leucine of any meat. So I always say when people are trying to build muscle, eat more chicken thigh. Yes. And then what I do with intermittent fasting and, and muscle building is, since I lift two days a week, on those two days I don't intermittent fast, and the second I get done with my workout in the morning, I'm getting in 40 grams of animal-based protein right away. I usually do it in the protein shake form, whey protein, and then I eat a lot of meat during the day. And then on the days I don't lift, which are all the other days of the week, then I intermittent fast until noon. So that's kind of a good press pulse cycle that allows you to really build on the days that you're lifting and then take advantage of the autophagy on the days that you're not. I'm gonna go one more question. Go ahead. You. Oh. oh, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. You only get one. You only get one. I'm kidding. It's regarding him. Okay. Can I? So uh, the she's talking older people. Um, again, um, the body by science, and then leucine and reduction when it comes to eating protein. On the second point for 
people who are older, you do have what's called in the scientific community anabolic resistance. You need about double what uh, a younger person would need. Yes. More protein. More protein. That's the More answer protein. to most questions. I can't speak on the first question, though. Body by science, I'm a fan of, yes. That's basically what you Yeah. So it's the lifting really hard, more intense, a couple times a week. And just really funny to answer your um, protein question. My mother, I can't really talk about this, you guys. She recently decided to go vegan, despite my lifestyle. <laughs> so she texted me a photo of her lunch one day, and she's like, look at my lunch. And it's a bunch of asparagus spears and a bunch of radishes. So I texted her back, and I said, hey, Mom, where's the protein? We need more protein as we age. And she texted me back a photo of a bottle of Chardonnay. <laughs> <laughs> so she got me. I thought that was yes. good. <laughs> um, obviously, there's a lot of interest here, and um, I'm going to see if we can assemble some impromptu after the summit, if there's a small group of people that want to just... Jordan, you'll be in the corner as well. In the corner. Yes. No, go ahead, I'll Jordan. be at the Archetype Nutrition booth. Yes. It's the dinosaur. I'll be there for the rest of the day. I'll be there in the morning tomorrow. We haven't had a ton of traffic, so please come ask me questions. Yes, absolutely. But beyond that is, um, I see your hunger, and I see what you're looking for, and I know, like, I've got a question, I've got a question. This community has answers. Um, I've uh, instant messaged and communicated with them. I don't need to talk to them. I need to follow their example. And when they hit me back and say, this is what look at this article. These are content providers. They're giving away their hearts for free. Yes, they have services and products for you to invest in, which you should, right? Life is not about a free ride. It's about pain first. It's about investing, and it's a big return. So let, let's see if I can put something together. Folks, these are real people. Give it up for them one time. Thank you. Thank you. So for those, we're going to go on break until 3.50, but before we do, we've had a couple questions. Um, VIP and Platinum, so you'll be getting an email on Saturday. Um, you do get a seven-day viewing pass, so I know a lot of you are taking notes and like, what did you say, what did you say? You get a seven-day viewing pass for, for that on the digital download. Dr. Annette Bosworth, her 50-page uh, PDF, Dr. Fit and Fabulous Keto Survival Guide, access to Jamie's app and Bronson's app, the training method, uh, and a private Zoom conference. So that's the difference between platinum, VIP, and general admission. So I just needed to clarify that with all of you. Um, so there's a lot of value that we're trying to give away, but there's a lot of time that you are investing and we recognize that. So with that being said, 350, be back in your chairs and uh, please keep enjoying the event here at the Keto Summit. <laughs>